0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Painting the Corners podcast with Logan and Johnny. We did the National League trade deadline grades last week, so we're continuing here with the AL grades this week. Again, just giving a nice breakdown on what every team got and what they gave up at the deadline.
1: Yeah, please don't forget to hit up our socials. We got Twitter at the PTC Pod as well as our Instagram Painting the Corners Pod. So please give us a shout out there and uh, let's get into it.
0: All right. And make sure to stick around till the AL East, because as mentioned last episode, we got a special guest joining the podcast from the Tampa Bay Rays organization. Let's get into it. Okay, Starting in the AL West, we'll kick it off with the Houston Astros. Um, Recently overtook the Yankees, I believe, for the best record in the American League. Um, They had a three-team trade, which is always fun, with the Rays and the Orioles coming away with Trey Mancini, uh, obviously a nice pickup there, and also pitching prospect Jaden Murray, who slots in right at the back of their top 30 uh, overall prospects. And they also got Will Smith, lefty reliever from the Braves. We talked about that trade last week. And Christian Vasquez, a catcher from the Red Sox, as well as um, Mauricio Dubon, kind of fourth outfield type from the Giants earlier in the year. So the big one here is the Mancini deal, the three-team trade. I liked that one for them. They gave up Jose Siri to the Rays in that deal, which wasn't a big deal for them because Chaz McCormick is having somewhat of a breakout season in center field, um, at least locking it down there this year. Um, so Siri was was an expendable piece for them. And on the flip side, they filled a gaping hole at first base because Yuli Gurriel has fallen off a cliff this year uh, offensively. So Mancini is definitely a good fit there positionally. And he's also a good fit because he's going from the deepest left field in baseball at like Camden Yards now with the, the new wall there to the shortest left field outside of the Green Monster, uh, the Crawford boxes out in Houston. So that will definitely be favorable for him. He's already taken advantage of that a couple times in some post-deadline games. So, yeah, I like that move for Houston. I like the Christian Vasquez move as well. We had mentioned them as a clear target for Wilson Contreras, but... Seems like they kind of shied away from him with concerns about his game calling and his ability to learn the new pitching staff in time for the playoffs. So it seems like they pivoted a little bit to Vasquez, which honestly isn't isn't too much of a downgrade. Obviously, Contreras is a superior offensive player, but Vasquez is is no slouch, especially for a catcher. And he also has a much better reputation for framing, game calling, et cetera. As for what they gave up, we mentioned Siri. Uh, They gave up Jake Odorizzi, which we broke down uh, a little bit with the Braves in that Will Smith trade. Didn't really understand that from their perspective just because starters are generally more valuable than relievers. But at the same time, Odorizzi was seventh on their starting pitching depth chart with McCullers coming back from injury. All the same, though, it's... uh, Always always a little perilous to trade away starting pitching depth because we know how fast that can change. Guys get hurt, kind of run into a wall late in the season, workload's getting high. So that, you know, it could come back to bite them, especially in the playoffs when guys are, are running on fumes. But as long as Will Smith pitches well out of the bullpen, I think they'll be fine with that trade. And then, yeah, other than that, just a few prospects and fringe players, Chase McDermott, uh, the right-hander that they sent to the Orioles probably being the biggest prospect they gave up, but even he's not, uh, not some blue chipper for sure. what do you think, Logan?
1: No, I thought they did exactly what they needed to do come deadline time. I mean, they needed a first baseman and someone who could maybe spot a corner outfield uh, game here or there. They needed Especially a left Especially with Brantley out now. Right. Yeah. It's a huge, um, that's a huge loss for them. Um, Will Smith fills the left-handed relieving role that they badly needed, and Christian Vasquez picks up arguably the biggest hole that they needed, which is some sort of offensive production from the catcher position. I thought they did a fantastic job. Like you said, the Will Smith trade is a little bit curious because you are giving up a starter for a struggling reliever. However, you're getting a guy with good playoff experience. He was an unbelievable pitcher last year in the Braves World Series run. I understand your argument there with Odorizzi being more valuable, but at the same time, he was so expendable and it felt like they almost had to do something and this was probably the best return they got, I'm guessing, for Odorizzi. Um, And and for all those reasons, to, to make a team that's already consensus, top four team in the entire sport, to fill the exact holes that you need with quality, smart players, there's nothing else I can give it than an A.
0: Yeah, I mean, you said they had to do something and I I do agree they had to move Oda Rizzi probably just because he was so because they had so much starting pitching depth and they had to get a lefty, but I don't think they had to do that in the same move. I think they could have gone after maybe um, Andrew Chafin of the Tigers who we mentioned as a fit pre-deadline. You know, they wouldn't have had to give up too much for him as a rental and then they could have flipped Oda Rizzi for some prospects too, to, to like balance that off, because I think, I'm not really explaining this well, but I think the, the prospect value that you would need to attach to get Chafin from the Tigers would not be nearly as much as the prospect value you would get back from sending Oda Rizzi to some contender that needs pitching, needs starting pitching depth. And I think Chafin's a better reliever than Smith. He's certainly having a better year this year, although, as you say, the postseason experience can't be discounted. Uh, But I I did think that was kind of a curious move there.
1: Yeah, no, I I totally do get what you're saying. I just think that a lot of times when these trades happen or don't happen, it's tough for us as fans to know what they did or maybe didn't have lined up. Like you said, ideally, Odorizzi gets flipped for a prospect package and you acquire an Andrew Chafin type for a lesser prospect package and in turn get net value. but I think, I don't know, just the way this one kind of went down, not last minute, but it was you know, the last last hour of the trade deadline leads me to believe that maybe there was a chance that they didn't have anything else lined up, and they just said, you know what? We're not going to get any better value, and Odorizzi's been complaining already, so we got to get him out of here. Might as well try to get someone that can fill that left-handed relieving role that we so badly need, and we feel like we can fix Will Smith.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I'd still give them an a, a-, maybe, as well. Definitely a strong deadline. They addressed all their needs, and they didn't give up too much that was valuable, at least to them, this season, which is what matters, obviously, because they're in win now mode, for sure. All right, let's move on to the Mariners. Looking to end the longest postseason drought in American sports history, and they took a big step toward that, for sure, this deadline acquiring arguably the best pitcher on the market in Luis Castillo, who is controllable not only for this year, but also for next year as well. That was really their only big move. They got Carlos Santana, first baseman DH, uh, from the Royals. He's just a rental. And they also got injured starter Matthew Boyd. don't know if he's going to factor in very much. And backup catcher Kirk Casale from the Giants. Bench bat Jake Lamb from the Dodgers. So their only move was Castillo, but I mean, what a move it was. That's uh, a huge boost for any pitching staff. Their front three is pretty daunting now. They did give up a lot to get him. They gave up their number, I think, one, three, and five or something prospects. Uh, according to MLB Pipeline, I think Baseball America had a bit of a different view on that. But either way, Noel Marte is a top, top prospect, top 100 guy for sure. Edwin Arroyo has also been mentioned as a top 100 guy. Levi Stout, not quite on that level, but a solid prospect. And then another prospect as well, Andrew Moore, uh, all in the Castillo deal. The other prospects that they gave up for those other guys were not nearly as significant, obviously. But it seems they overpaid, in my opinion, for Castillo, especially when you consider what the Yankees gave up for Frankie Montas. But at the same time, I don't know, can you really condemn them for it? Because... They had to go for it this year. Um this is the best chance they've had at breaking their drought in a long time, and getting Castillo is is definitely gonna put them on a, a good pace to maintain their hold on a wild card spot. It's it's really hard to say that you can lose a trade when you when you're breaking a drought like that and getting to the playoffs and that would obviously mean so much for the city of Seattle.
1: Yeah, I think the best way to think about this trade if you're A Mariners fan is you are winning the trade for the next two years and you're losing the trade for the five years that follow. But that's just the nature of trades. Like you're going to have to win and lose. And ideally, it'd be awesome to fleece every single team that you trade with. But the reality is, you're going to have to give up guys who end up being studs for genuine talent. And they're not giving up these upper echelon prospects for an unproven starter that's gotten hot they gave up right. they gave up these guys for Luis Castillo and you know you had mentioned earlier that he was arguably the best starting pitcher they got dealt. I mean no I, he is and I don't even think that Montas is close in my opinion Luis Castillo is an ace um, this guy is going to lock down this rotation and he ensures that going into game one against any team in baseball you have a chance to win in any series I genuinely feel that unless he's facing Jacob deGrom I do not feel like there's anyone that he cannot match up against he has that talent
0: yeah I 100% agree totally Uh, one other knock on the Mariners though is they do have a big hole at second base well I shouldn't say a big hole Adam Frazier is Well, not a star by any means, at least he's not, you know, below a replacement level, but certainly an area that they could have improved upon significantly at the deadline. Even somebody kind of fringy like Donovan Solano from the Reds would have been a pretty significant upgrade there. So, a little disappointed that they didn't do anything there, but all the same, this is a playoff team for sure. And. You know, I feel like anything. I feel like the the uh, the lack of getting a second baseman at the deadline will be vastly overshadowed by the fact that they actually make the playoffs this year.
1: No, totally, and like you said, like the second base position is weak, no doubt. But they're in. I mean, they would have to do a fairly sizable overhaul of that offense to make it a scary potent playoff lineup. Yeah, you have nice pieces. I mean, Ty France is a nice piece. Obviously, J Rod is a is a fom- phenomenal piece to build around. Like Jesse Winker, Daniel Suarez, JP Crawford. You know, you're, you're not running out enough talent that makes the lineup scary. So, yeah.
0: They're and, winning on the strength of their pitching staff.
1: Right. And and that's what they're going to have to win on in the playoffs. And they're no doubt a team that can get hot and can get lucky. I just don't see them making a deep playoff run. But like you said, that's not the point. The point isn't to go in a World Series. Could it happen? Sure, it can happen to anyone. You make the playoffs, you never know. But their goal is to make the playoffs. You get over that hurdle. Now, 2023, Luis Castillo's final year, you still got Robbie Ray. You get another year under your belt of George Kirby, Matt Brash, and Logan Gilbert. Like This rotation is going to be very, 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 very good. And all they need to do is upgrade a little bit of that infield offensively and they're going to be a scary team for 2023 no doubt
0: yeah 100 i mean they have said that they are committed to jp crawford at shortstop but i would not be surprised to see them playing in the deep end um for the shortstop mix this offseason with trey turner potentially carlos correa almost certainly carlos correa going on the open market this offseason kind of getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but right, Mariners are going to be good. They're almost certainly going to go to the playoffs this year, and that makes it all worth it. Prospects are cool, but parades are cooler, as they say. So yeah, that's an A for me.
1: Yep, can't give it anything other than an A. They're trying, and it was a smart move. So um, let's talk about a team that necessarily didn't need to try based on their record, but didn't really accomplish much, and that's the Texas Rangers. All they did was acquire Mark Mathias and Anton Kelly, who now slots in at fifteen in their top thirty prospects as a left-handed pitcher. And they traded away Matt Bush. Now, that's a pretty underwhelming deadline, no matter who you are. I just don't know what the plan was. Like, okay, you trade away a controllable reliever. Fine, we've we've already said that we believe that that's the route to go. So you get back some solid return. Um,
0: I don't know if I'd call that a solid return, honestly. Antoine Kelly, he's in high A. He's walked 52 in 91 innings, so that's clearly an issue there. Uh, He has good strikeout stuff. He struck out 119. But, I mean, Mark Mathias is 5th infielder, 6th infielder type. He has versatility, but he's never hit at anything approaching a league average rate in the majors, and there's really no reason to expect him to turn it around all of a sudden. So they must have seen something in Kelly. An area scout probably said, hey, I think we can make an adjustment with this guy. I think we can fix his command. But that's somewhat of a gamble to take, you know, trading a a pretty valuable reliever. Bush, I mean, he's got a sub-3 ERA, and he's got... Two more years of control after this so that's um it's a pretty nice piece for the brewers obviously you know the the uh fickleness of relievers being what it is there's certainly no certainty with that but still i mean it's a valuable trade piece and it doesn't seem to me like they got very much back for that
1: no i would tend to agree i don't think i'm as harsh on the return i don't feel like matt bush is well granted he is controllable He's not a young whippersnapper anymore, so I don't know. I, even though he has control, I'm not too torn on what they had gotten in return. I think for me, the bigger, more glaring thing is the lack of moves in general. Yeah, and and I know we've mentioned this in the NL preview. Like we're both pretty firm believers in committing to something. You either mm-hmm. go for it, you. You trade or at least retool. And I think if there's any team in baseball that could have just retooled, it could have been the Rangers. And it's not for this year. But man, you know, you're, you're setting yourself up for for next and the following year, right? That's been the plan. Why you signed Seager and Simeon, right, and Gray. Like, you signed those guys, not necessarily to go be a playoff team this year, but it was for the years after when you're, they have a fairly solid farm system when that farm system can now start to become major league talent, I thought this would have been a good time to, I don't know, again, like there's not a ton of these guys available, but try to go after guys that are controllable and young or close to major league ready minor leaguers. Maybe dump some of your guys that are, you know, solid relievers, rentals, whatever it may be. Like, I just thought they had an opportunity here to... Like I said, retool and they just didn't really do anything. And to stand pat and really only trade Matt Bush, like that doesn't do anything for your organization's organization's future outlook. Like Anton Kelly isn't gonna change the outlook of your organization. Let's just be real. No. So for me, I I give the Rangers a D. I just think it's a bad deadline.
0: Yeah, I agree. And kind of deeper than the this deadline. I don't really like their roster construction in general. They went out and they got Seeger and Semyon and Gray, but you're obviously not going to trade those guys. So they didn't really have very many tradable commodities at the deadline. And at the same time, they don't want to trade their prospects because most of their prospects are close to the big leagues. So they're in a bit of a, tough spot there of their own making wherein they just they don't have very many pieces to trade but at the same time they desperately need to get better for the next couple years so yeah it's not a not a good position to be in especially their record being what it is this year they've disappointed a lot after making those moves this offseason so yeah i'm gonna agree
1: with a d there yeah, so sorry, Ranger fans, but hopefully, hopefully, your uh, prospects can can maybe lift you guys to something better next year. But we can discuss this in our outlook video that we'll get out here fairly soon. It just, I agree with you. Roster construction is a big issue down in Texas. So let's talk about another team that struggles with roster construction: the Los Angeles Angels. <laughs> um, so they had a they had an interesting deadline because. It was a, it was some of the moves they made at the time seemed very curious, and at the end of it all, when you see the big picture of everything that they did, I think it kind of seems to make more sense. Um, so let's talk about what they got. The biggest addition that the Angels had was Logan Ohapi, their number one overall prospect now, playing catcher for them that they got from the Philadelphia Phillies. This guy has legit power. Um, really one of the elite catching prospects in the entire sport at a time where we have a lot of really good catching depth. You're not going to hear much about him, um, but yeah, he he is legit. They also were able to acquire Jesse Chavez just to kind of give them innings and quality innings at that out of the bullpen, uh, while also getting their number 11 prospect, Major League Ready prospect, Tucker Davidson, starting pitcher, who we all know the Angels can never get enough starting pitching. Um, they also acquired Bicky Moniac, a former 1-1 baby, uh, meaning first overall pick in the draft. Now is probably out for the year after he broke his hand trying to bunt. That's why you don't bunt, but at the end of the day, he is out for the year most likely. Um, they got a couple other small pieces like Tuki Toussaint and Jadel Sanchez, who now slides in at number 29 in their system. But they did give up some big-name guys, and, and the first one was Brandon Marsh, who was a controllable center fielder. Rossell Iglesias, who is their big splash reliever that they just signed, and then big splash starting pitcher, though a rental, in Noah Syndergaard. The reason I say that it was an interesting deadline that didn't piece itself together until you saw the big picture was because they started by trading away Brandon Marsh. And this is without getting Mickey Moniak. So... We're thinking, why are we trading away a controllable outfielder who obviously has upside, who does not yet really had a chance to cement himself? Yeah, he's played bits and pieces the last couple of years, but it's not like he's been given three, four years to prove himself. And then they go and they trade Noah Syndergaard away and get Mickey Moniak. So, okay, maybe... You'd rather give Moniac a chance and you like the return you got for Mars, this, that, and the other, okay. And then at the last minute, one of the last trades that came through, Rossel Glacius being shipped out, which I've heard a lot of backlash on, though I do like. I think getting rid of a guy who was owed that much in your bullpen for a team that is just struggling to make smart financial moves was a great move for them. That's all I really have to say about the Angels, to be honest. I thought they had an interesting, yet put it all together, not a terrible deadline.
0: Yeah, I I would say this is a good deadline. They definitely got creative, which I always appreciate. Nobody saw this coming. The Marsh trade was way out of left field. Literally, that's where he plays. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And the Iglesias deal, I don't think many people were anticipating either. So I can definitely appreciate that. Perry Minajian GM there knows that he has to do something to turn the ship around quickly with Otani and Trout. Um, Well, Trout leaving his prime and Otani probably leaving the city. (laughs) But I think Ohapi will be huge for them because he's in the high minors. He's raking. I think he hit like four home runs in four games or something like that recently. Um, Marsh was a good piece, but you know, obviously you have Trout in center. Uh, they were hoping for the what feels like fifth year in a row that Adele can figure it out and write. Their most glaring need was not in the outfield. Their most glaring need actually wasn't even at catcher where they did improve. It was in the middle infield where they didn't do anything. But I don't know. It's a battle for another day. Maybe this uh, offseason they can improve that. But, yeah, I think the trades they did made... They did make, worked solid. Syndergaard, they had to give up. I honestly was not confident going into this deadline that they were even going to sell it all. So I'm glad they gave up Syndergaard. There was no point holding on to him. He's a rental starter. Um, They got at least something for him. Moniak was showing signs of of breaking out a little bit early this year. So that's, you know, that's good. But yeah, I really like the martian Iglesias deals. Iglesias, as you mentioned, getting out from under that contract is huge with with trout rendon etc on the books still financial flexibility is hard to come by there uh so that's good and getting hobby is big as well he should be a productive major leaguer as soon as next season or the season after that at the latest so i i would give this i give this a solid b b plus maybe even
1: yeah i i would have to give it a b minus just because again it wasn't it wasn't the most big splash deadline getting hoppy is huge, but they didn't really do much else to improve their future. In my in my opinion, like I, I don't see much in Tucker Davidson, so I can't really give it much more than the B minus. But I do want to quickly before we move on to the last team in the division, the Oakland Athletics. I want to address this seemingly angst against the Ross Glacius trade, and I've seen a lot of people dogging on what the Angels. This deadline and it's centered around that deal. I'm not sure what people were expecting them to get in return for a reliever that is going to be paid 16 million over the next three years. I know he's a good reliever and I get it, but he is—he's not Josh Hader, right? He's not these this upper echelon. He's probably the second tier.
0: Yeah, for sure. And even if he was, just handing out that kind of money to relievers is so dangerous. I remember when the Rockies Yeah <laughs> as soon as I say the Rockies you know it's going to be a bad thing but <laughs> Rockies gave out three big contracts to relievers I think all in the same year like the 20 it was either the 2015-16 offseason or 16-17 offseason they got former Royals closer Wade Davis who was coming off like one of the most dominant stretches that we had ever seen from a reliever with the Royals during their championship runs gave him a lot of money two other guys who had been coming off good years as well. And all three of them just completely crashed and burned. Um, obviously course didn't do him any favors, but either way, like, I don't know. It's just giving that much money to relievers. And I'm even more importantly, in my opinion, giving that much time to relievers that many years of control. It's just, it almost never ends well. Uh, there's just so much, so much opportunity for injury and bad performance, so I think it's a solid job from the Angels to even get out from under that contract, without having to pay it down, but to get, you know, at least a depth piece in Davidson, that's a good job, I'd say.
1: All right, so then let's get into the last team, the Oakland days. So I think the biggest thing that they did was obviously sell. They're in a fire sell situation. We saw them do it this offseason, and they continued it this deadline by getting rid of the likes of their best player, Frankie Montas, Lou Trevino, uh, and some smaller catching guys like Christian Bethencourt and Austin Allen. In return, they did a fairly solid job of retooling their farm system, getting some solid solid pieces. Um, the biggest name that you're going to see that they got in return is left-handed pitcher Ken Waldachuk. Who slots in at number three now on their top 30. They also got hard throwing right handed pitcher Luis Medina who slots in at seven, as well as JP Sears at 19 now, and second baseman Cooper Bowman, more of a death piece, at 29. Um, a couple other smaller minor leaguers, but nothing too much um, to highlight. But that was pretty much their big deal. The Montas Trevino getting back those four prospects that I just mentioned. It was a solid return for Montas and Trevino, in my opinion. I, I think they did a good job of getting solid pitching depth to boost that system. You can never have enough pitching prospects. I like Walter chuck a lot, and I also like Medina a lot. I think he's better than people have led on to. I love guys whose floor is late inning relief pitching. I just, uh, To me, that is such a valuable asset to have. When you have guys whose... You know, have to be a starter or it's a bust. There's the floor is pretty low, but when you got a guy like Medina who's throwing upper digits, at least you got floor of a late inning reliever on him. Um, I thought the ace had a fairly good deadline in terms of what they could do. Could they have moved Ramon Loriano? Sure, I didn't feel like they had to do that necessarily. They've done a lot to Fire Cell already, so it's not like you need to deplete that team much more. They couldn't do a whole lot. So for me, it's nothing more than a B. But I did like the return for Montas and Trevino.
0: Yeah, it does pale a little bit in comparison to the Castillo trade. Um, Castillo is, as you mentioned, probably a little bit better of a pitcher than Montas, but not this much, I I would say. And that could be reflective of the, the Mariners just overpaying but I was a little surprised to see the A's pull the trigger on Monday. Um, I kind of anticipated them waiting teams out until later on Tuesday when the deadline was you know, drawing near and try to squeeze out a little bit more prospect value. But I don't know. Maybe they just liked this package, liked Waldachuk and Medina, as you said. Um, they're certainly you know good prospects, but... Yeah, just not quite on the level of the, uh, of what the Reds got for Castillo. Uh, all the same, though, you know, solid return. They did what they had to do. Traded Montas. You mentioned Loriano, who, yeah, they didn't have to trade. Looks like they're gonna keep him as their center fielder for the next few years, uh, as well as Sean Murphy. That was their other speculative trade piece. He's a a catcher with. At least, I think, three or four more years of control. He's a low average, high OBP, high power kind of guy, but he's a great defender as well. Uh, he's showed some some promise over the last couple of years, um, improving his offensive numbers as well. So that would have been a valuable piece, but at the same time, they have control over him. He'll still be on the team in the next few years once these prospects mature into big leaguers. So they will be uh, content to stick with him and uh, just kind of ride out his arbitration years before he probably departs as a free agent or maybe they trade him later on as he's closer to free agency. Um, Solid deadline. Not spectacular, especially in the wake of the Castillo deal. So I'll give it a B for the A's.
1: Yeah, I think we're going to have to agree on that one. Like I mentioned, I also gave it a B. and, And for the A's... And Ace fans, not only are you gonna lose your team to Vegas, <laughs> but in the last few years you're gonna see a bismal product on the field. Alrighty, so let's hop into the AL Central and let's kick it off with the team that had the most impactful deadline in this division, the Minnesota Twins. They went out and they acquired Jorge Lopez, all star reliever from the Orioles, Tyler Molly, controllable starting pitcher from the Reds, and a rent reliever and Michael Fulmer on top of adding to their catching depth and Sandy Leone. They definitely took a hit in their system for Jorge Lopez and Molly. They had to give a fairly significant depth and, and some pretty good guys as well, including Kate Povich, Spencer Strier, Steve Hajar, Christian and strand as well, amongst others. Their system definitely took a hit and it definitely took a step back in the depth department. However, in a division that was up for grabs and in a division where the other contending teams sat down and did absolutely nothing, the Twins went out and got very good Major League talent. Jorge Lopez is controllable until 2024. Molly till 2023. As I mentioned, Fulmer's only a rental, but man, they got some controllable arms. And any time that you can get controllable arms who have both proven and shown to have maybe potential uptick in statistics you killed it now when you look at the twins they can use this deadline as more of a long term granted only two year long term but it's still long term it's not any it's not a ton of rentals it's it's a long term acquisition that's going to help them this year and next year and i love those type of deals and i think that's why we saw them have to give up significant prospect um, status is they had to get give that up in order to get control. I like what the Twins did, especially considering what the other teams in the division failed to do.
0: Yeah, that's exactly it. That's the most important thing for sure. If you're looking at these, view, these moves in a vacuum, um, it might be a slight overpay, maybe probably like a B, B-plus range, but they had the opportunity to go out and basically trade their way into the playoffs and trade their way into a division title and they did it. That's super important. Um, and they also didn't, you know, as you said, they didn't do it all with rentals. They didn't sacrifice their future. They have pieces for next year and the year after that. So that's uh that's an a job for me. I, I, I really, I really like this deadline for the twins.
1: I do too. I can't give it more than a B+, plus solely for the fact that I did feel like, on paper, they probably overpaid for both Lopez and Molly, But because of the control aspect and the fact that the other teams sat down and did nothing, I have to give it a B plus. I think that they did a very solid job in what they acquired. So let's hop into the teams that did nothing by starting with the Cleveland Guardians, who traded Sandy Leone to the Twins. For right-handed pitcher Ian Hamilton, who was in AAA, not a top prospect. That's it, by the way. That's all they did. They are currently sitting in first place in the AL Central. And that is all that they did. That is a uh, stereotypical Cleveland Guardians-type deadline. I'm kind of surprised they didn't decide to just trade everyone, right? I mean, you're in first place. Why try?
0: Yeah, this this one really baffles me. I mean, they were... Like a game back or maybe two back at the deadline, yeah. I don't see how you don't at least do something marginal. You don't have to sell the farm, you know. You don't have to get somebody who's super expensive, but you know, even a marginal reliever or you know, it's just like a fourth outfield bat. It would be, it would be something. You're not a triple A starter. It's yeah, that's confounding to me. They had needs. Clear needs, they have a decent system at least. I don't know. That's uh it's gotta be an F, right? How can you be in Oh I mean, yeah, how can you be that close to first place and not even try?
1: No, it's an F and a half. And it's not like they're a surprising team to be as close as they are, because they have the starting pitching. We've known that for years. They're always gonna have the starting pitching. They had a chance to make some real impact moves and like you said, they didn't have to go and get Freaking Juan Soto, like go get me Ian Happ, like give me something, boost the morale in the clubhouse, and just get us to the playoffs without having to sell the farm. I don't like. I genuinely don't
0: understand why they didn't try. With the Rockies, like they're just that's just the way they are. They are convinced that they have their core in place and they don't want to break it up. With the Giants, they you know do their little thread in the needle thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, you know it's not doesn't look like it's working out so far, but whatever. Like they, they, at least it seems like they have a plan. The Guardians, I I don't even know what they're playing at here. Like I would say based on their front office tendencies that they're worried about payroll, but they you know just did a massive rebranding. Obviously with the name change, they want to get fans you know invested in the team, and. You have a huge opportunity. Like, as much as we make a big deal out of the trade deadline, it's really rare that a team can actually win the division based on what they do at the deadline. And three teams in this division had that opportunity, and only one took it, the
1: Twins. Exactly. And let's get into the other team that, let's just lead off. Another F in the division, the Chicago White Sox. You come into the year with World Series expectations. I mean, I saw that thrown around numerous times. There were
0: a lot of people speaking the AL, for sure.
1: And you come away with Jake Diekman? That's it? Like, I mean, come on. Are you Are you trying? I mean, the only logical thing that I can think of to make this one make sense is... <laughs> he, the general manager in Chicago is doing everything he can to get Tony La Russa fired <laughs> and to blame this on Tony because there's no logical reason, just like there's no logical reason for the Indians to only come up with one player who is going to make zero impact. I'm sorry, but he's not. It, but He is going to provide zero impact. You get rid of Reese McGuire in the deal, so you lose catching depth. But again, whatever. Like FFF, this whole division pretty much deserves an F. I feel like it's just—it's a joke what the White Sox and Guardians did. It's a joke.
0: Yeah, I mean, Deekman has a f- like four-two ERA. He's not—he's nothing special. He's not—he's going to be like the eighth man in their bullpen anyway. Um, at least they have the dubious excuse of. Having no farm system whatsoever, so they couldn't even make a big splash if they tried. But that still doesn't preclude you from doing something more than Jake Diekman. You know, you don't have to have blue chip prospects to get useful players. Uh, we're not talking Soto here. We're not talking even like Ian Happ or Wilson Contreras here. Like just a like a Michael Fulmer trade, something like that even would be huge for the White Sox from a morale standpoint and obviously from a team quality standpoint as well. Just getting depth in general is huge for them because they've been bitten by the injury bug so much this year. So to just leave these guys to their own devices and hope that they straighten it out in the last few months, that's just, it's not a good look.
1: It's not a good look, and I'm going to tell you something. They do not have the manager to make that happen. Another team that did basically nothing in this division is the Detroit Tigers. I mean, they trade away Robbie Grossman and Michael Fulmer, and they get two prospects, Chris Angelin and Sawyer Gibson-Long, who neither are ranked in their top 30, and that's it. They didn't trade Soto. They didn't train Chafin, uh, and Gregory Soto, I should preface. Um, they didn't train Andrew Chafin on an expiring, uh, not expiring, but it's basically an expiring deal because it's a mutual option. They didn't trade Joe Jimenez. They got no top prospects in return. They failed to put a quality product on the field again this year. They overpaid for Hobby Baez. I'm just losing my mind in the AL Central. I, like, honestly, there's only one competently run team, and it's the Twins.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, we just said the White Sox. You don't have to give up a top. They didn't. The Tigers didn't even get a top 30 prospect for Fulmer. So, like, that just goes to show you. I'm sorry to go back to the White Sox here, but you don't have to have top tier prospects to get useful pieces, especially in the bullpen. Uh, from the White Sox perspective, or sorry, excuse me, from the Tigers perspective, I. This, again, just what are you doing? You deal Fulmer, who's on an expiring contract out of the pen, but you don't deal Chafin, who's in the same spot and probably would have fetched more because he's a lefty and he has a better track record than Fulmer. You don't trade Soto, which is somewhat more defendable because he has more years of control, but still... Like, where do you think you're going? There's no way that you can deceive yourself into thinking you're going to turn it around next year. Teams just don't go from 100 lost teams to making the playoffs in one year. It's just not
1: how it works in baseball. I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. No, there's, like I said, a complete level of incompetence with the majority of this division and thank goodness it was highlighted at this deadline because the guardians for the longest time the longest time have failed to commit to go for it and they've had the they've had the pieces they just needed to add a little bit never did it and now they're a meddling team. Okay
0: how's this how's this for a stat about how bad this division is the guardians lead this division at 60 and 53 the baltimore orioles are at 59 and 54 the baltimore orioles would be a game out of first place if they played in the al central
1: wow yeah that just proves this division's level of competition and it's not even like you're looking at it well you know all these teams just happen to be You know at a a point in their rebuilds and and whatever that no one's just there for the like these there's teams that had this opportunity and they've had opportunities in years past and they just continue to make stupid decisions Uh, namely the white Sox, but i mean the tigers terrible decisions the twins usually make somewhat smart decisions but then again they underperform a lot And
0: and they can't make it past the first round of the playoffs
1: no because they somehow match up with the yankees every time And the Guardians, man, it's just like, when are you going to – got to get us a better competent owner. But we still got one team that we haven't talked about, and that's the Kansas City Royals. They had a somewhat eventful deadline, and it's one that definitely requires a little bit of talking about because they acquired quite a prospect haul, not necessarily in terms of quality – But in terms of quantity, they definitely lengthened the depth in their system. Um, They were able to acquire the likes of TJ Sikama, who now slots in at number 22 in their system. Beck Way, who's number 12, who is is a big prospect out of the right-hand slot for a starting pitcher. Um, As well as Max Castillo, who slots in at number 13. Uh, Samad Taylor, utility man, at number 23 biggest return they got is a quote-unquote failed prospect that they were able to acquire in Drew Waters. The biggest thing about the Drew Waters trade, in my opinion, is what they gave up. They gave up the number 35 overall comp draft pick to acquire Drew Waters. I want to highlight that, and, and I'll let Johnny talk about more of the other deals that they made but I have a big issue with this deal. You're telling me that you're going to value a, again, failed top prospect more than the number 35 overall comp pick in next year's draft. I don't see the connection there. And and maybe, maybe you do Johnny, but I just don't, I'm not seeing where they're, where they're valuing that. at. And it's not a trade you like have to make. Like, there's no nothing that's saying, oh, yeah, well, the 35th fifth overall pick in next year's draft, you know, he's on a retiring contract. Like, I just don't, I don't understand that deal. I really don't. I like getting Drew Waters for a team like the Royals. It makes sense. But really, for the 35th overall pick? I mean, that's valuable.
0: Yeah. If I looked at this trade and you didn't tell me who made it, you just said, you know, A prospect for 35, 35th overall pick, I would say, okay, well, the team that's giving up the 35th overall pick must be in contention and probably has a hole in the outfield that they hope this guy can fill in the next couple of years. And the Royals, well, they have holes everywhere because they're the Royals and they have the second worst record in the American League. But they should not be prioritizing a win-now sort of attitude. No, They're not going to compete in the next few years. You have to build up from the bottom and a first-round draft pick, a late first-round, early second-round draft pick, is is huge. I understand that Waters used to be good, but unless they have you know some sort of intel on on you know why he struggled, they think he can fix it. They think they can fix him. Uh, it just doesn't really make sense.
1: I'll totally agree with you. And to quickly touch on the other main trades they made was one getting rid of Andrew Benatendi for the aforementioned C.J. Sekema, Beckway, and also Chandler Champlain. They also dealt with Merrifield finally and got Max Castillo, Samad Taylor in return. I will say this. I think the Benatendi trade, they got the value that he was worth. A rental non-power hitting outfielder, I don't understand how that could net too much value so I'm happy with that return and same with Merrifield based on how he's played this year I think they got a solid return there my biggest thing with the Royals is just my gosh man you're gonna wait this long to trade where Merrifield and when you do it's at bottom bottom value I mean he hasn't been this bad with the Royals and now you're going to trade him, it's just, again, another failure on their part to trade a guy when he was at peak value. When the writing was on the wall that you guys are not going to be good with him on your team, he was cheap, controllable, like he had everything going for him to just net a really good prospect return, and they failed to do so, and now they're all only left with Max Castillo and Samad Taylor, both guys who are top 30, but nothing that's going to scream, oh yeah, thank goodness we have these guys, you know, they're going to help us in the future.
0: Yeah, and compounding that, they don't seem to have learned from their mistakes. They have controllable guys that they can sell off right now. In the bullpen, Scott Barlow, we mentioned as a trade target for a few teams, he would have fetched a solid return. Brad Keller is not a flashy guy, but a starter that can post a league average ERA is valuable to a lot of teams. They could have gotten a lot for him. Michael A. Taylor won a gold glove in center field last year. He's controllable for the next couple of years as well. They could have gotten solid a solid return for him. I mean, at some point you just have to bite the bullet and do a full rebuild. You're already a terrible team. You can't you can't say, Oh, you know, we want to put a respectable team on the field. You're not already, and that's with these guys right. on the team. So I mean, you can say we want veterans around for our younger guys, but I mean, that's just yeah, they need to they needed to maximize the value of Merrifield. They didn't do that, and they didn't learn from that mistake. They needed to va- maximize the value of the guys they have right now that are controllable. They didn't do that either, so I don't know. They've got wit That's good. They've got a few other studs. Melendez should be good. But other than that, there's not too much hope for the future in KC.
1: No, and for all the reasons that we just discussed, I have to give it a D+. I can't say it was as bad as the Tigers because at least they did lengthen the depth of their their farm system. But again, at what cost? And I didn't feel like they necessarily got the value that they should have for what they gave up even the short term nor long term for me it's a D plus
0: yeah I mean I don't know I'll say C minus the return was actually solid I think for what they did give up but just the lack of creativity and even I don't know just not even creativity just the lack of boldness like come on seize the initiative you know you have you have pieces didn't trade them So yeah, C-minus for me. Moving on to the AL East here, we've got Ethan Sakata, our special guest, interning in the Tampa Bay Rays organization. Um, How's it going, Ethan? You want to tell us about your uh, internship?
2: Yeah, first of all, uh, thank you for having me on. Um, I've listened to a couple of your guys' episode, and uh, I've enjoyed both of your guys' insights, and especially the trade deadline. It's one of the most fun parts of the year, other than the draft, and you know, during the hot stove season in the winter. So, uh, yeah, first of all, I want to thank you guys for having me on. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Um, about my internship, so the Rays uh, use a technology called Hawkeye, which is, you know, similar to Trackman and Soto, but they have video recordings of the skeletal biomechanics as well, along with velocity and, you know, all the pitches um every single pitch and play is recorded and i specifically do it for the charleston river dogs which is their single a team uh so after their home games i hop online uh three hours after their game so it would be around you know anywhere from 10 p.m to 11 p.m on the west coast time and first i would adjust the alignments that they have so make sure that Uh, the gumbo which says what the play is like what happened in that play to the video action so first I link that up and align that and then um, yeah I mean there's a lot of complicated things in there but I reprocess it and then convert it into a mp4 so it's easy for um, you know the front office to analyze that data from Hawkeye so uh, yeah, and next week, uh, I'll be able to do some games on the triple A team, the Durham Bulls as well. So um, it's exciting to see, you know, some of the players you played against or you might be familiar with or um, on those, you know, if it's the River Dogs or the opposing team, um, it's interesting seeing all the players and some players you see on the prospect list.
0: Yeah, that sounds awesome. Thank you for joining us. You want to talk a little bit about your playing background?
2: Yeah, so um, I played 14 years of baseball. um, Went to Sage Creek High School in Carlsbad. uh, Won a CIF championship there. Um, I was a pitcher ever ever since I was young and uh, played two years at Palomar. Unfortunately, both of my seasons were canceled. So, um, you know, I only played half a season in 2020. But, uh, You know, being in that environment and playing at a high level definitely helps you, give you an eye for how good players are and and what are some things or characteristics that good players have. Um, Yeah, and then, you know, now I'm at USC studying business. Um, I'm into real estate and then, you know, later down the line, um, I would want to be in the MLB front office. Um, and there's correlation between uh, real estate and baseball. Um, you know, one of the real estate podcasts I was listening the former Astros assistant GM was on. Uh, he's not with the team because he was involved with the cheating scandal. But <laughs> you're always projecting stuff. Uh, you're projecting players. And then for real estate, you're projecting cash flows. And, you know, some decisions you have to make, like buying or selling, that's similar to... You know, trading. So there's definitely a lot of correlations there. So, um, you know, definitely excited about my future process that I'll be involved in. Uh, one day I uh, hope to become a GM or president of baseball operations.
3: Yeah, that's really exciting, man. So, uh, just to give the viewers a quick background from how we got to know Ethan, uh, he, as he said, he played at Palomar uh, Community College, and, and so did I. I came in a year after him and we obviously got to talking and, and found our love for baseball to be a, uh, a universal thing, and, and that's kind of how things kicked off. Um, and, and I think to his credit when he's talking about being able to see guys at the college level, and let me know how you feel on this, Ethan, but when you're at a junior college, you see guys who are going to go NAIA, Division three Division two D1, and get drafted. So you see the entire spectrum, and you can really see what what differentiates guys from Division 1 and drafted, or Division 2 and D1. Yeah,
2: I definitely agree with that. And, you know, there's sometimes highly touted guys, um, players who are D1 bounce backs, or played in the area codes, or always have um, consistent interactions with scouts, um, and then yeah, there's also the D2s and D3 level players. So, especially in Southern California, I mean, you know, it's up there with the Florida and Texas JUCOs. So, um, you know, every every team essentially has at least one dude who can who has a potential to play professional baseball. So, you know, sometimes running into those players, it's really interesting and uh, exciting to see and And then, you know, a few years down the line, you follow them and you see them get drafted. Uh, For me, since, you know, when I was a freshman, you know, there are a couple of dudes that are now uh, getting drafted this year or a couple of years into pro ball. So, yeah, and even um, last year during COVID, I was uh, in a fall league and one of the showcases that I played in. Uh, Ricky Teedman he's a top 100 prospect on the Blue Jays and Mm. I saw him up close he's I mean listed at 6'4 6'5 and I mean he looked bigger than that I mean you know he was already throwing 95 as a 18 year old sidearm his comparison was Sean Mania Uh, but you know even though he was only a third rounder last year it's interesting seeing some players make you know, massive development jumps. So uh, really exciting to see Juco players, especially because some players, you know, they might not have their uh, physical frame yet. And then a couple years later, they grow into their frame. And now they're a completely different player from when they were in high school.
3: Yeah, no, that that's great points. So let's, uh, if you're ready, Ethan, let's get into breaking down these AL East trades and, and what teams did and did not do. Um, so let's kickstart it with the Yankees, um, you know, the big boys. So we know what they got. They, they went out and they got Andrew Benintendi, Frankie Montas, along with Lou Trevino, Scott Efros from the Cubs, Harrison Bader. And they did add a prospect in the Gallo trade and Clayton Beater. Um, They did lose quite a few pitching prospects, Um, as well as Cooper Bowman, a second-base prospect, aforementioned Joey Gallo. And they did trade away from their starting pitching depth at the Major League level uh, with Jordan Montgomery. What were your thoughts on what the Yankees did this deadline?
2: I think overall, I mean, they definitely got better. But the one move I didn't like was trading away Jordan Montgomery. Um, That just takes away the pitching depth that they have, and instead they'll have Domingo Herman who hasn't been very good this season. Um, You know, yeah, bringing in Harrison Bader uh, is good for sharpening up, uh, you know, late-inning defense and and the outfield and give Aaron Judge some rest. But um, despite the Montgomery move, I overall liked uh, what they did. They didn't give away any of their top, top dogs in their prospect system, and, especially Frankie Montas. I mean, that's a big addition. Um, I mean, he's a number two starter on most teams, high velo, you know, nasty sinker. And even though he had a little bit of an injury this season, I mean, I think he'll be fine and he'll, they'll have him next year as well. And then, yeah, their bullpen additions were good. Efros, um, I mean, unique uh, arm angle. I think that's always important. In the bullpen obviously you want the high velo guys but you need some deception as well so I think that was a good addition uh Ben and Tendi fits well in their lineup um so that you know their big dogs can uh drive him in and uh with the likes of Judge and Stanton and Rizzo and then uh you know Lou Tribino, his uh numbers might not look that good but looking at years past uh you know, 2019-2020, I mean, he's a good sinker ball pitcher. Um, gets a lot of ground balls. So, I mean, I think that was a great pickup. I mean, Yankees been doing well with a uh, bullpen arm set they have traded for or received. So, I think he'll be very useful uh, for their team and replacing Michael King. Um, and now that Clay Holmes is starting to struggle a little bit, Lou Trevino is a good option to have as their sinker baller.
0: All right. I like that analysis. Have you ever seen any of these minor league players that they gave up um, in your uh, video analysis? Um, we got TJ Sikema, Beck Way, Chandler Champlain, Ken Waldachuk. I know he's a big top prospect. Luis Medina. You seen any of these guys?
2: Uh, not. I mean, I've seen Waldachuk up close um because he worked out at the place um i did it called one rm uh and yeah he was a late bloomer i mean two years ago i mean he wasn't even mentioned in the top 100 and then you know he got in their top 30 and then just kept climbing up with incredible strikeout numbers and a low era so you know i haven't seen any of these guys play but walden chuck was definitely a physical specimen with in the gym and yeah his velos i mean in the mid 90s so the a's have been a really you know they got a good return um but i to be critical with the yankees a little bit you know i think they could have gone one more arm and they could have at least afforded to lose one of their middle infield prospects i mean I think they have a legit shot to win a World Series this year. And like the Padres, I think they could have gone all in and then focus on this year because of the uncertainty of re-signing Judge.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. And not to harp on them too much because they did have a good deadline. But yeah, going back to that Montgomery for Bader trade, it's just hard to see how you value, you know, late inning center field defense more than a solid number four or five starter. Um, I really, really don't see that one.
2: Yeah. Especially with Sab- Sabrino on the 60 day IL and exactly, Montgomery yeah. could easily be a, you know, a game four starter or, you know, be a middle relief guy giving you three to five innings. So I think that's a big loss and um, it might bite them in the playoffs. It might not, but I mean, defense and starting pitching wins, wins you games and, especially in the playoffs. So, you know, I think that's going to sting a little bit.
0: So all that considered, what grade are you giving the Yankees on this deadline?
2: I mean, I'd give them a A-. Still, they got significantly better. Um, and, you know, if everything clicks at the same time, with, especially with their health, I think they're the favorites in the AAL. Um They're the team to beat.
0: All right, let's move on to the Blue Jays.
3: Yeah. So the blue days acquired some interesting players at the deadline, no big splashes, but they did get Zach pop, uh, who's controllable until 2026, as well as reliever Anthony Bass. They also acquired last minute with Merrifield. Um, and from the Dodgers, they got Mitchell white as well to bolster some depth in the, in the arms category. They also picked up their new number eight prospect, according to MLB pipeline, uh, shortstop, Alex de Jesus. Um, they did lose a big-time prospect, though, to get Zach Pop and Anthony Bass, and Jordan Groshans. That's the biggest name they had to give up. Other than that, they gave away a couple you know, potential replacement-level major league guys in the, for the future, but um, Jordan Groshans being the biggest one they gave up. So what are your thoughts on what the Blue Jays did or maybe didn't do at the deadline?
2: Yeah, I'd say the Blue Jays. I mean, they weren't disappointing as the White Sox or the Brewers, but I would have liked them to um, – See them add another legit starting pitcher. I mean, you had Syndergaard on the market, Rodon on the market, um, Native Valdi. I mean, those are Native Valdi would be in division, but, you know, there are some quality middle of the rotation arms that they could have easily added and used Groschans for that move. But um, so, yeah, I would start off by saying that was kind of a disappointment that they didn't add a legit starter.
0: Yeah, and I would even say Montas, you know, the Yankees didn't pay too much for him. You know, Walshuk's a solid prospect, but I was a little surprised to see the Blue Jays not be more aggressive with Montas and Castillo, especially, you know, keeping him away from your division rival. That's a huge swing there, you know, of having to face Montas maybe in the playoffs uh, versus having him on your team. Uh, It's definitely... um, I I could have, I could have envisioned them going for him.
2: Yeah, I mean, Montas would have been a huge addition to, you know, piggyback a Gosman. I mean, Barrios hasn't been the same pitcher. Um, You know, Kikuchi hasn't been that great, and uh, they got Manoa. I mean, yeah, Manoa's been good, but you know, Montas would have been the second or third starter in a playoff series where. He gives you a legit chance to win. So, you know, that was a kind of a disappointment. Um, going with their other moves, though, the relievers that they added, you know, I like um, Zach Pop, uh, sinker baller. Um, yeah, saw him pitch last year uh, for the Marlins at PETCO. And, I mean, he looked really solid around 95, 98. And, you know, Anthony Bass has a. ERA in the one, so he's been having a good season. Um, regarding Merrifield, I mean, his value is not the same as it was a few years, few years ago, so you can't expect, you know, too much out of it, but it does add depth within their positions and, uh, you know, give it a top of the order or a bottom of the order bat that can balance it out a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, they could have used – uh, Groshans as a trade piece for potentially Montas, like you said, and e- even you know with other pitchers too. Like Cindergaard was in was a big name, uh, you know, looking to go there. So you know, I'd give them around a C plus for their off uh, their uh,
3: trade deadline moves. Fair enough. So then let's uh, let's bounce into your team, the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, they weren't super busy per se, but they made a lot of Tampa Bay Rays-esque moves in getting uh, David Peralta and Jose Siri to secure that outfield, as well as picking up Garrett Clevinger from the Dodgers. They did have to lose Christian Serda, uh, German Tapia, and the two guys who I'd love to hear your takes on are uh, the players they had to give up in order to acquire Jose Siri and right-handed pitcher Seth Johnson and Jaden Murray.
2: Yeah. Um with the players that they gave up, uh I know Seth Johnson a lot more because of, you know, I'm look looking at um their top ten prospects, but you know, he seems like a good arm. Um he was uh he had Tommy John this year, so I mean, you know, there is some, you know, risk to him, but I think yeah, they gave up too much in order to just get Jose Siri, I mean, Jose Siri has, you know, good power and speed, but he hasn't really shown it yet. Uh, He hasn't proven it yet. Um, So I think they could have used Seth Johnson for a bigger piece, but, you know, essentially in terms of trades, it's about what each team values, right? So um, if the Rays thought Siri was a um worth trading your number six prospect essentially on mlb.com then um it is what it is but in terms of their other moves uh david peralta you know that was one of the moves that i wrote in my trade deadline report that i sent to the raise uh so i think that was a good acquisition um even though he's a rental you know he could add a little bit of that thump and power that they need in their lineup in their outfield has been, um, horrendous in terms of offensive production. So, um, that's an upgrade there, um, adding both Peralta and Siri and, uh, the Rays have just been struggling with a lot of injuries this year. So, you know, even though they have a really good young core that has around, you know, four to five years of control left with, you know, Baz McClanahan, Franco, um, Rasmussen, um, and Patino. I mean, this year it kind of seemed like it was difficult for them to contend for the World Series. So, you know, I could understand some of the moves that they made, but some of the players I would have liked them to see were, you know, getting controllable players that would help them prepare for a World Series run within the next four to five years. So, like Christian Walker. Uh, would have been a good fit there, you know, with his power. They desperately uh, need some power. So, you know, uh, and, you know, some players like Donovan Solano were things that I had my eye on uh, to really balance out their lineup since, you know, they don't have a guy, I don't think that has over an 800 OPS right now. So, um, but yeah, Clevenger was a good pickup, good lefty. Uh, mid 90s Um, you know we saw when the Padres played you know he you saw potential in him so you know I'd rate there around a B minus I mean I think they made reasonable moves and you know didn't go too crazy so with all the injuries that they had it made them kind of difficult and they haven't been consistent like they've always been so um, the moves that they made made sense
0: Yeah, with the Rays, they always got to kind of thread the needle. You know, series controlled through 2027, Clevenger through 2026. So they do have control over these guys. They're going to be valuable pieces for a while. But yeah, as you said, not really too many impact guys that are going to help them make a deep playoff run this year. And one guy we didn't talk about, second best two-way player of his generation, Brett Phillips on the waiver wire. A DFA had unfortunately lost his roster spot. So that's a, a sad day for baseball history.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think team chemistry is really important. So, I mean, I'm sure it will be a sh- short term loss, but, you know, you always need a guy in the clubhouse that's going to have a personality and just bring the team t- together and have a fun environment in the clubhouse.
3: Exactly. Uh, that's an extremely good point. So speaking of Brett Phillips, so let's get to the team that ended up picking him up in the Baltimore Orioles who now have control over Brett Phillips till 2024. But that's not the big thing that they did. They went out and they made some big subtractions for a team that at the time was only three games out of the wild card spot. Would love to hear your take on that. But let's see, they got rid of Trey Mancini, big clubhouse guy if we're talking clubhouse guys, and uh, all-star closer Jorge Lopez. In return, they did get a solid return. They picked up Seth Johnson from the Rays, uh, who is now going to slot in in their 8th best prospect, as well as Chase McDermott, who is now their 12th best prospect. In the trade for Jorge Lopez, they picked up Cade Povich, who is now slotting in at 26 on their top 30, and some uh, non-ranked prospects, such as Rainier Cano, Juan Nunez, and Juan Rojas.
2: Yeah, I mean, essentially with the Jorge Lopez trade, it seemed like all their returns were, you know, potential relievers. I would have liked that return to be a little bit stronger, Um, you know, maybe a a top 10 prospect since Jorge Lopez has been having a very good season and he has a lot of control left. Um, Yeah, since I saw Jorge Lopez last year when he was a starter, I mean, he was 95 to 99 with a sink or so. I always thought he had a potential to be really good, but looks like uh, the bullpen rule really worked out for him. Um, Yeah, so I would have liked to seen a stronger return for Jorge Lopez. I would Mancini, though. I mean, I really like how they got Seth Johnson. I mean, he could be a potential rotation piece uh, down the line or at worst case, um, you know, a high leverage reliever. Um, you know, I think the Orioles did all right. I mean, you know, they kept pieces around, um, you know, hopefully they can sign Mancini again in the off season since, you know, they're looking to spend a bit, but, you know, I mean, the moves that they made haven't affected them. I mean, they're on a four game winning streak right now. So, um, yeah. Yeah you know, it would have been cool to see their fun run with their current squad, but they made the right business decision. Um, I mean, Mike Elias, I mean, he, he's an underrated front office executive. I mean, he was, you know, the center point in, um, the 2017 Astros and consistently finding good players and replenishing their talent. Um, he's always been a really good scout and, uh, I'm sure, you know, these moves will uh, work out for the Orioles.
0: Yeah, it seems like they got a better return for Mancini, the rental, than Lopez, who has two plus years of control remaining.
2: Yeah, I mean, Mancini, with the low supply and of uh, good hitters in the market, I think they were able to get a higher value on that. But yeah, when I first saw the Jorge Lopez trade, I would have liked to see at least a top 10 prospect or, you know, uh, a younger guy that has high potential, high ceiling down the line, like a 16 or 17-year-old that would have a a high ceiling. So, yeah, I mean, I'd give them a B. Um, You know, they made the right moves um but just wish they could have gotten a return a better return for lopez
0: yeah it seems like they prioritized uh, quantity over quality there yeah all right let's jump into the last team it's amazing that we're saying this the last place team in the al east the boston red sox um they man they had a weird deadline we talked about this on the live reaction show Um, They tried to buy and sell, um, traded their starting catcher Christian Vasquez, but picked up a backup catcher from the White Sox, Reese McGuire. Um, He is controllable through 2025, but he hasn't really shown much at the big league level. Um, They also picked up Eric Hosmer from the Padres which actually is going to end up being an upgrade for them just because their first base production has been so bad this year. Um, And, yeah, they also picked up Tommy Pham from the Reds as a rental. Not really sure where he fits in that outfield mix. But, yeah, definitely a weird deadline. What's your take on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, same reaction to you guys. I thought they had an interesting deadline. You know they were kind of halfway of should we become absolute sellers or should we be aggressive and they just went with the middle I mean losing Christian Vasquez yeah he is one of the better offensive uh hitters um uh, as a catcher but I don't think that's going to be a huge loss for them um yeah getting fam and uh getting fam and uh Hosmer, I mean, fam, your he's a rental and he's not gonna he's not gonna make a major impact on them. And uh, with Hosmer, I mean, they have him for three and a half more years, so I think that was a good move in terms of them finding a first baseman and somebody who can balance out the lineup in the bottom of the order. But um, you know, they already told other teams that they were going to keep Bogarts. So, you know, it looks like they're trying to extend him, but I think they could have sold Nate Ebaldi more. Um, maybe they asked, they had too much uh, of an asking price for other teams to be interested, but, you know, any team would take Nate Ibaldi. I mean, he could become a reliever or he could, He could be a game three or game four starter in the playoffs. So um, I think they could have gotten a good return for Baldi. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, J.D. Martinez, I think they could have sold high on him as well. I mean, you never know with these players that are going to be rentals that if they're going to sign back with their team. But the Red Sox are kind of an awkward situation right now where their core from 2018 has expiring contracts and then you know their only young player that they can build around is Rafael Devers. so it'll be interesting what they do in the offseason but if they don't re-sign some of these guys during the offseason I mean I'm sure they'll regret a little bit that they couldn't get a good return for some of these players so you know I'd give them a C plus to the Red Sox, you know, either they should have been aggressive or just completely had a fire sale. Uh, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I mean, talk about an awkward position. You know, they have top prospect uh, Tristan Casas at first base. What does this mean for him that we have that they have Hosmer for another three and a half years?
2: I mean, they could slot Hosmer at the DH spot or you know, even trade Hosmer again in the offseason. Um, but, I mean, you know, they got some good prospects back from the Padres on that trade. I mean, I I didn't understand why the Padres made that trade, really, um, in terms of the salary, you know, how that's balanced out. But, you know, they got a decent return for the Hosmer trade. So, you know, with co- costs coming up, I think they might look to move Hosmer uh, during the off season, so they can give their top prospect uh, an, or one of their top prospects an opportunity to thrive in the big leagues.
3: Yeah, I think it's important to remember too, with Hosmer, the Red Sox DFAing him or cutting him straight up is nothing big for them. They're not financially committed to more than 700000 per year. So it's something that they can consider as well.
0: That's very true. Um, all right. Thank you, Ethan. That was awesome analysis. Um, always great to hear some insider perspective on these prospects and uh, the other players as well.
3: So thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much, Ethan. It was, it was great getting to catch up with you again. And uh, thank you to our listeners for listening to another episode of Painting the Corners podcast. Um, sorry if you're a Rockies fan, but if not, hopefully you like the future of your organization. And we'll see you guys next time. See ya.